0: The text for this morning, or this afternoon's sermon, sorry, is Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1, beginning at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? And so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servant for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all them, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. As far our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we read the Bible, we might uh, tend to read it in a man-centered fashion. We might focus only on what the people are doing in the text. And we might think that the only important thing in the Bible are the things that I can directly apply to my own life. You see what, um, hap- what somebody did in the Bible and you, you just try to rec- Directly apply that to your own life. Now, to be sure, those things can be important. But when we read the Bible, when you read it at home, when you go to Bible study, it's important to always have this question in your mind What is God doing in this text? What is He up to? What are His purposes? How is he moving his plan of salvation forward? And this is important because it will keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. And this will also help us to apply the message of the text to our lives in the correct way. You will notice that the theme of the sermon is not, dare to be a Daniel. Yes, there's something of that message here in this text. We cannot avoid it. However, if that's the only message we take away from this text, then we've leapfrogged what God is doing. We fail to see his purposes for his people and for his great plan of salvation. So what is God doing in Daniel 1? Well, what we want to see this afternoon is that he's setting up his faithful servants in Babylon for his own purposes. And so the sermon theme this afternoon is as follows. The Lord sets up His faithful servants in Babylon with three points. First of all, the Lord places His servants in Babylon. Second, the Lord keeps His servants faithful. And third, we'll look at the Lord's purposes for His servants. Now, one of the goals of Scripture is to teach us to see the things that happen in the world, to view them with the eyes of faith. And this is also true for the first seven verses of our text. You see, in these verses, we primarily see the actions of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He came to Jerusalem with his army. He besieged the city. He captured it. He plundered the city, including the temple. And he exiled the people of Judah to Babylon, leaving only the poor in the land. And back in Babylon, he then instructed his chief eunuch to search for the best of the best of the Israelites. He wanted young men of nobility. He wanted use of good appearance without blemish. And he wanted the intelligent and skillful to serve before him. And among the young men chosen from the exiles were Daniel and his three friends. Now, let's say we had been there. To witness us all. And if we had been there to witness everything. We could potentially see everything. From a human point of view only. And it would look to our eyes. Like Nebuchadnezzar was in control of everything. But here again we must see that God himself. Was at work. And verse 2 itself makes this clear. When it says the Lord is gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar was acting according to his own power, according to his own will. But he did what the Lord determined would happen beforehand. In fact, God declared ahead of time through Isaiah that this very event would happen. Listen to Isaiah 39. In Isaiah 39, envoys from Babylon came to visit King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah showed these envoys all the riches of his kingdom. And in response, God said to Hezekiah through Isaiah, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house shall be carried to Babylon, and some of your own sons shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So everything Nebuchadnezzar did in our text was the fulfillment of God's own counsel. He himself was in control. That's what, he's always in control, of course, but here he is in, in control too. And so as Nebuchadnezzar set up Daniel and his friends in his court, we can see, we can confess that it's God Himself who places Daniel and his friends there. And yes, they will be serving the king of Babylon. But they will be ultimately serving the Lord in his purposes. Now, the Lord had some specific purposes in placing his servants in the court of the king. We're going to explore some of that in the third point especially. But what we want to see specifically now was that God did not set them up in the court of Nebuchadnezzar To rebel against him. Yes, this was a pagan king. But they were not to be rebels. In fact, they were to serve the king of Babylon to the best of their ability. God instructed his people through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So God wanted them to serve the king of Babylon, to serve the city there. Now at this point, we, we can begin to apply the situation of Daniel and his friends to our own situation here in Canada in the year 2019. You see, God gives a similar call to you and to me in this world. You see, our situation as Christians in this world and in this nation is similar to the experience of Israel in exile. Reformed theologian Kevin DeYoung put it well when he said, as Christians in a nation, we are more like Jews in Babylon than Israel in the promised land. So, what he's saying is that our situation in Canada as Christians it matches more of the experience of the Jews in Babylon than the Jews in the promised land of Israel. And that's indeed true. You see, Babylon in Scripture is often a symbol of this world. It can symbolize the world in general. Babylon can refer to worldly systems of thought. It can also symbolize unbelieving humanity united in opposition to God. And we as Christians are like exiles in the Babylon that is this world. That's a situation we find ourselves. We're we're like exiles in the world. And why is that the case? Well, this is true for us because Jesus Christ has changed our situation in this world. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we all once followed the course of this world. By nature, we found ourselves right at home with sinful humanity. But then it says, God, being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's what God has done for Christians. He has raised you up with Christ. He's seated you with Christ in heaven at God's right hand. And so we can know that God has given us a heavenly identity in Christ Jesus. We can say, along with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, my citizenship ultimately is in heaven. Yes, we're citizens of Canada, but ultimately we're citizens of heaven. And that's why the Spirit calls Christians in 1 Peter 2, sojourners and exiles. That's our situation in the world. We're away from our true home. The new heavens and the new earth. Now yet, as we await our return to our true home, we must remember that God does not transport us out of the world. Even though he's, he seated us with Christ in heaven, he does not transport us completely out of this world. And yes, Christians are called to flee Babylon, but that means to flee away from the sins of the world, not take part in the the sins of the world. God does not call us to be monks and nuns in this world. No, God has placed us in this world as Christians. See, the Lord set up Daniel and his friends in Babylon, serving Nebuchadnezzar. And remember, there was nothing wrong with this. God had called the exiles to serve the good of the city. And God has not seated us with Christ in heaven so that we can just forget about the world around us. No, God has called us to serve in this world too. Do you understand that? You know, in many ways, it would be so much easier just to have no contact with non-Christians. Right? It would be easier. You would, you would feel no pressure from the world. But God has intentionally placed you where you are, where you work, where you study at university or college, where you live perhaps with your non-Christian, unbelieving neighbors. See, God is determined that you will rub shoulders with people who do not have the same heavenly citizenship that you have. It's not an option to simply withdraw from the world. As Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl." God did not light the lamp of Daniel and his three friends to put them under a bowl. He's not done the same for you either. That brings us to our next point. So, the Lord has placed us in this world. But of course, with that comes temptation and spiritual danger too. And you see that also in our text. At the start of their service in Babylon, Daniel immediately comes across spiritual danger. And there's a lesson for us in this. You see, Satan, he often tries to trap us in sin when we come across new situations in life. It can happen when we start a new job. When we start going to university or college, when we move to a new location, when we enter into a new relationship, when we find a new business opportunity, or maybe when we start using a new technology. Satan will tempt us with new temptations that we are not on guard against. You see, the devil wants us to fall into a sinful pattern of life that's difficult to free ourselves from. And so when we start something new, he'll often attack us with new temptations. So we must be on guard. We must watch and pray that we don't fall into temptation. Now, what was the danger for Daniel and his friends? Well, it was the danger of assimilation. It was the danger of losing their identity as God's people. It was the danger of losing their holiness. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel and his friends into an intense program of what we can call Babylonianization. Right? They were immersed in the Babylon school curriculum for three years. They learned all about Babylon gods and Babylon values. They even received new Babylon names, Babylonian names, to help them forget their relationship to the Lord. Right? Think of their names. Daniel, his Hebrew name, means, My God is Judge. His new name was Belteshazzar, meaning Bel, protect the king. Bel being the name of a Babylonian god. A similar thing goes for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their new names were associated with Babylonian gods. And not only that, but these young men, they they were far from home. It would be so easy for them to say, Well, I guess I'm a Babylonian now. I might as well just go with the flow. Get in line, do what everyone's doing here. Besides, they were living the pretty good life. In fact, they were living like kings. And if Babylon provides you with a nice car and a nice home, why fight against it? Right? If, If standing against the evil ideas of the world means something like losing your charitable status as church... Why fight against it? Just go with the flow. But Daniel made up his mind that he was not going to be assimilated. The young men were provided with daily provisions of food and wine from the king. And For some reason, he felt he could not eat the king's food. And we don't know exactly why. Maybe it violated Israel's food laws maybe the food was sacrificed to an idol i don't know but in any case the text says the food and drink would defile him so daniel resolved not to eat it in order to be faithful to god now we must understand there there was great pressure for him to conform here great pressure After all, if you're doing this training program on the king's dime, you'd better not make the king angry. Besides, when you read through the book of Daniel, you can see Nebuchadnezzar wasn't exactly the most level-headed king in the world. And you know what? It seemed like such a small thing, right? It's, It's only food. What's the big deal? Why not give in on this small point? And there's also the chief eunuch. He he said to Daniel, essentially, you know, if you don't eat this food and the king sees you skinny as a rail, it's going to cost me my head. Right? There's more pressure to give in if if not giving in means hurting someone else. And they're telling you, please do this for me. Well, we might find similar pressures to conform in day to day life. Your fellow university students might invite you out to the pub to get wasted after Friday class, right? Come have some fun with us. It's only one night. That's what university students do. Your boss might ask you to cheat a customer to get more money. Help me out here, will you? I'm paying your paycheck. Don't be a stick in the mud. Your sports team might pressure you to play in the big game on Sunday. You know, can't you just skip church? You don't want to let the team down, do you? Someone in the business world might pressure you to make a shady business deal. Right? This is how we're going to get ahead. No one's going to know about it. And we could think of many such cases. The pressure to conform and assimilate to the world is one of the greatest dangers the church faces, and we as Christians face. And you know what? I don't know if we appreciate this enough. See, the danger to the church in Daniel chapter 1 is probably greater than the danger facing the church in Daniel chapter 3 with the fiery furnace. Right? That danger is directly in your face. You know it's there. But you might not see the danger in Daniel 1, and that's what makes it so dangerous. The danger of conformity is a lot more subtle. You might not notice it at all until step by step, you've lost your identity completely. So we must be on guard. Daniel resolved in his mind not to defile himself. He held on to his identity as a holy child of God. And the Holy Spirit worked his faithfulness in his heart and his life. And it reminds us of our Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Right? This is the type of faithfulness that Christ had. He never defiled himself once with any sin. He held on to His holiness every moment of every day. He held on to it despite the temptations of Satan, despite the, the pressures from the religious leaders. He came to do the will of God. And Scripture says, by His holiness, He became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And by that sacrifice, He has forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He's made perfect forever believers. And it's that obedience, it's that sacrifice that has won for us our heavenly citizenship. And in Christ Jesus, no one can take it away from us. Remember that. Hold on to the identity you have in Jesus Christ. That will help you to resist conformity to the world. That's what Romans 12 teaches us. It says, in view of God's mercies, right, of what Christ has done. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that testing, by testing you might discern what is the will of God. Let me see. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Of course, it might not always be easy to discern the will of God in every situation or question of conscience that you face in life. Right? It requires wisdom, it, it requires prayer, it requires God's Word, the help of the Spirit. Remember, we can't just jump out of the world or completely withdraw from it. And Daniel faced the question of, you know, what is God's will for me in this situation? Here I am in Babylon, what's God's will for me? was not wrong for him to serve this pagan king. Remember 1 Peter 2 says, honor the emperor. We are not rebels in this world. But there were some things that Daniel was not going to do. And what might that look like in your life? Well, perhaps you might wonder, can I study at a particular university if If it's promoting the LGBT agenda? And I would answer, yeah. You may study there. But there are some things we are simply not going to do as Christians. For example, we're not going to sign an agreement to some kind of LGBT inclusion statement or something like that. We're just not going to do it. And you might face many more questions like that in the future. And answering those questions, it takes prayer. It takes wisdom. It takes the guiding of God's word. But remember, God is with you. He will help you stand firm. He was with Daniel and his friends. Look at the text. God made the chief of the eunuchs show favor to Daniel. This was a pagan person. And yet, for some reason... He wanted to help Daniel. That's because the Lord was with Daniel. And when Daniel and his friends ate only vegetables and water, God sustained their bodies. They were healthier than all the others. God allowed the crisis to be averted. So trust in the Lord. God might help you in very surprising ways. So seek God's help. In every situation, he wants us to serve His purposes in this world. This brings us to our last point. So the Lord Himself set up Daniel and his friends here in Babylon. God put them in there in order to witness to the king and the rest of Babylon. He wanted them to witness. And what did he want them to witness about? Well, the first thing is this, that the Lord is the only God. Think again of the opening of this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar waltzed into Israel. He seemed to manhandle Israel and her God, the Lord. He broke into Jerusalem, he waltzed into the temple, and then robbed God's house of all of its treasures. And on their way back to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and his whole army would be singing, Marduk shall have dominion over land and sea. Our God is the best. But Nebuchadnezzar was soon going to find out that his own gods were actually powerless. God was going to use Daniel to show him that going to show them that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was the true God, the God who saves. And he would use Daniel and his friends to witness to this. That's why he also kept them faithful. The second thing that the Lord wanted Daniel and his friends to witness about was this. Yahweh is sovereign over the nations of men. He is king of kings. He gives rulers Their power. This chapter comes up, or this theme comes up again and again in later chapters. It's one of the main things, themes of the entire book. God gives kings and rulers their power, and they are called to acknowledge that. That's also why the Lord gave Daniel and his friends their skill set. God made them without blemish. God gave them wisdom. God shaped them to be full of knowledge and insight. You see, this skill set could also be a danger and a temptation for them. They might get puffed up with themselves, thinking, you know, look at us. We're the cream of the crop in Israel. Nebuchadnezzar chose us, men without blemish, men without or with much wisdom. And they might rely on their own skills in Babylon instead of on the Lord. And let us remember that also. God has given you your particular skill set. Maybe it's in management, business, construction, teaching, motherhood, mechanics, accounting. You name it. He has shaped you for a He has shaped you in a particular way for His purposes in this world. Do not be proud. Do not rely on yourself. Trust in the Lord. See His purposes. And He set you in this world so that you might serve Him. He wants you to witness to people that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that there's salvation in Christ. And that the Son of God is coming back to this world. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And that Christ will establish the eternal kingdom of God. You are called to be witnesses in this world. That's not always easy, I know. As we witness in this world, we we long for the return of our King. Right Daniel and his three friends that were under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, they longed for the Christ to come. And we, too, we long for the return of Christ, our king, when there will be no more pressures to sin. But remember, look at the end of our text. Our text ends with some encouragement. You know it seems like a, a throwaway line, right at the very end of our text, verse 21 says. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Why is this important? King Cyrus was a Persian king, a different kingdom. He took control of Babylon in 539 BC. Daniel lived to be an old man. He outlived King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he outlived the entire Babylonian empire. That big, shiny kingdom that pressured him to conform eventually faded away. And it's important for us to see this, that holding on to his identity was worth it, no matter what the cost. And that's ultimately how it will be for every believer. Holding on to your identity as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is worth it. Remember, we will gain an eternal kingdom. We will outlast every earthly, wicked ruler. And we will praise our God in an eternal kingdom forever. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 36.